Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and coming up with the best band names. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller, and I like a good tobacco pipe full of a Latakia blend on a cold, rainy day like this one. And today on the show, we're talking with Jessica Pop, Senior Director of Software Engineering at SunGrid. Hi, how's it going? Welcome, Very Jessica. Very good. Thank you, Rachel <laughs> Kendall. Glad to be here with you. Well, uh, we will, as usual, dive right in. And I, first of all, I'd like to point out that, that Kendall is not currently smoking a good tobacco pipe full of Latakia blend, even though it is a cold, rainy day. I'd like one. I'd li- It's cold. Did th- there was that part. <laughs> I need a jacket if I'm going to be outside. I can't record well outside, unfortunately. No, no, that would be cool. Maybe we should do a nature-oriented show at one point, but <laughs> since we're not talking about that right now, sorry, it's my fault. <laughs> uh, let's get into it. Jessica, tell us about your your path to leadership, how you got to where you are now. Sure, I'd be glad to, Rachel. Um, I started out multiple decades ago as a software engineer out of college. I was never a stellar engineer. I would, Looking back, I'd say I was a B player, and I don't know that I knew it explicitly, but I think I knew it on an on a intrinsic level. I looked at those around me writing amazing you know, kernel code and doing amazing things, and that, that just wasn't my orientation. And so I tended to gravitate towards that liaison role between technology teams and the business teams, being the translator, either because I was, could do program management pretty easily, or I was always very comfortable talking to the customer. Um, and so that led me to be in engineering line management by my, about my mid-20s. I had some amazing early managers that gave me great direct guidance, as well as being amazing examples as leaders. Uh, and that gave me the basis for judging all the leaders I've worked from, worked for since then, that I could, which ones I could learn from and which ones I had to work around. Are you good at avoiding the bad ones? Uh, I would like to say yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I will actively look for a new job now, you know, at this point in my career. I have quit a job because I said, you know, I am not meshing with this leadership and I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm not going to be able to do what they need in their style, and I'm not going to be able to be productive or successful either. So I've been known to quit one time. So my first 10 years, I worked in technology positions in retail, banking, insurance, and they all gave me like a good basis for the good and bad of IT of that generation for big business. Um, After that, I had my first tech startup opportunity, and it was what I call tech for tech's sake. It was in high-performance computing working with you know, parallel file systems, largely in the scientific community. And across 10 years, we had two acquisitions and we worked under five company names. So that period in leadership for me uh, was invaluable. I got to see startup, I got to see high growth, I got to see the acquisition process, I got to see how bad it can go after acquisition. <laughs> and so, you know, so I left that role after 10 years feeling I'd done what I could do there. I took a detour for an opportunity that didn't work out. And then, you know, more recently, earlier this year, I joined SendGridge. I was interested in the SaaS space. And then, you know, but for me as a leader, it's not as much about the specific technology. Uh, it's really about the people who I can work with, who I can lead and provide an environment for them to be successful. Okay. And you, you said something that kind of, you know, resonated with me early on about you, you enjoyed the part where you're communicating between the technical teams and the, the product team or, or the, you know, non-technical folks. Did you ever consider going into technical writing? 
because that's definitely one of those scenarios where that kind of useful, that kind of thing is super useful. And I'm just saying um, that because I've historically done right. that. No, no, no. You know, the two roles I think of are program management and technical writing. I spent a number of years. And actually, when I went into the startup space, that's the skill I took with me. And I led the PMO for many years. And so I generally like to use my skill. I have an ability to hear scope, schedule, budget, and everything that's done. And that's really important to be able to translate, especially for paying customers. Make sure we don't overcommit the engineering team and make sure we don't underpromise what we're going to give to the customer. Set uh, expectations, yeah. Exactly. But I, I do have an affinity for tech writing and you'll find me in my spare time like editing other people's tech documents. <laughs> yeah. Whether they I want me to or not. I do that to people in chat. I'm like messaging, yeah. you know that that's not how you spell that word. I can't help myself. Right, right. I can't. You, you, you know that should be a <laughs> he does that to me a lot for what it's worth. I He's do. It's... Regularly pointing out how bad I am at typing in Slack. So, But only only privately, only in and, and lovingly, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so I, I want to ask Jessica about, you said that you had a, a couple good leaders there early on that really kind of set the stage. And with the benefit of hindsight, when you look back and you describe those people, how do you talk about them? Were, were they good leaders because they got out of your way? Were they good leaders because they were helpful and not assholes? What, I mean, boil it down for me a little bit. Yeah, when I, when I think of one of them, um, it was a distillation of this person let me do my job. And then, but the minute I showed up and said, I need help, they were the biggest advocate I've ever had. No questions asked, no challenge. They trusted that I had done my best and what I'd been asked to, and they gave me the space to do it. And then when I raised my hand, they were there for me in a moment's notice. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Are, are those people hiring? <laughs> Just for the yeah. sake of our listeners. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, totally. I, I've had a number of situations where I'm like, I've tried everything. And then I go to the boss and the boss is like, well, try harder. And I'm like, uh, right. I wouldn't come to you if I didn't. Right. Did you help. try this? Did you try? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they never, they hadn't, never seemed to learn that that's the, you know, I would exhaust every possibility before going to them. So yeah. That well, is huge. And then are you that kind of leader now? I hope so. I mean, I really strive to, I mean, um, I made my missteps very early where I, I had a good uh, dose of embarrassment when one of my Ooh, we're gonna dig into direct that. report yeah <laughs> one of my direct reports called me on it but I think that's that's my biggest gift I can give is give people the space to succeed maybe almost to the point of tripping a little bit and then be there to catch them when they're ready yeah so tell us about that that embarrassing lesson or or another one if you want to choose a different one yeah I've got a couple but the the one that really sticks out for me that's probably repaid me the most was I was a brand new manager and I hadn't realized yet that you have to let people do the job in the way they're going to do the job. It's not the same way you're going to do it. And it may not be to your personal exacting OCD perfectionist standard. I don't know anything about that. And I'd been asking somebody to do something and I, I don't exactly remember the details, something about, well, what are the next steps? And I'm going down the hall with this person and they turn on their heel and they look at me and they say, if you want me to do it, step off. If you want to do it yourself, go ahead. Whoa. And I was, I was mortified, but you know, in hindsight, I can't thank that person enough. I mean, they called that out for what they saw. They didn't tiptoe around it. 
And that cured me of any, any essence of being a micromanager, but that's exactly what I was doing in that first job is I wasn't letting that person do their job and never again. (laughs) You got to build up that trust. It's difficult to let people, because you know, your bosses are going to see that, you know, if something goes wrong, they're going to blame you. They're going to see you as being uh, not on top of things. It's really hard to to let that go. It's not anymore for me. So now it's, I have that conversation, Rachel, I need you to do this. This is what success looks like for me in this task. I need it to be done by this time. Let me know when you're done. Yeah. And the key is defining what success looks like. A lot of new managers don't know that that's an important part of giving that direction. It's not just here's a task, but this is what I want to see at the end of it. Yeah, for sure. Are you dealing with any kind of leadership issue right now? Uh, Is there anything in particular that you're working on that you're, you know, trying to grow in? Yeah, I wouldn't say leadership issue. I would say the industry I left most recently was high performance computing, kernel engineering which then leads you to think these are people that don't get into it until they've been in their career for 10 or 15 years. Um, So I had a peer set and a team set who were very senior in their careers. I've now moved to the other end of the spectrum in SAS. A lot of uh, folks that have only been out of college for a couple years to 10 years. And I'm spending a lot more time on mentorship, direct mentorship, a lot more questions about what are my first steps in my career? How do I decide if I want to stay technical or be a manager? Um, so I'm spending a lot more time there um, and maybe less time on, you know, driving just broad strategic projects. Oh, okay. Do you delegate the mentorship or are you doing all the mentorship? Oh, no, I do the mentorship myself. For the most part, people come to you directly. And sure, say, sure. Not so directly. You're not old, but you're old. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> that is totally um, it. You survived <laughs> up to this point. You must know something I don't. I know. I know. I have. I know I have people that work for me that were born after I graduated from college, but you know, that, that comes to all of us at some point. Um, yeah. It's those, it's those, yeah, very, sometimes they're indirect. They're just, what do I do now? And you know, how did you get to where you were? And you know, how do I decide if I want to be an individual contributor or manager? So it's usually pretty direct. And how do you tend to answer this question? Do you have a, like a standard set of, well, tell me a little bit more about yourself and what you're like, or uh, do you just feel like, well, you should try both of those things before you decide. Yeah, let's or... do a mock uh, mentorship uh, situation right here. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm the fresh out of college. Gra- yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not actually going to make you do that, but. Uh, oh, what, go what, ahead. So, so what do you, Kendall, are you trying to decide <laughs> if going into management was a good choice for you? Is that where we are? <laughs> do tell. <laughs> Hi, hi, Jessica. Yeah, no. So, so I like programming computers. Should I continue to program computers forever? How did you choose to become a leader? Why did you? I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I generally do. I ask people. I said, when you get up and have your most perfect day at work, what did you spend time doing? And I'm looking for whether the answer is around solving technical issues, whether it's because you were an architect focusing on the architecture or the actual coding or whether you gravitate towards, wow, I really liked helping so-and-so figure out this issue he was having, or I really enjoyed that session where I got to sit on the, you know, the diversity panel for the company or whatever. So I try to find out what their perfect day is and then distill the activities and tie that to what the career might look like. Okay. So you, you mentioned that, uh, something about a diversity panel, uh, has being a woman affected your leadership journey and how? Absolutely. I mean, you, I, I say that now looking back on it, 
I don't know that I was um, aware of it at the time. Um, so I'm pretty, pretty open with teams. Like I was never the person that was afraid to speak up in a team meeting. Um, I'm sure in hindsight that um, I've been called names for being, you know, men are assertive and women are aggressive. Or aggressive, bitchy. yeah. Um, and I even had a nickname at one company that I took with a grain of salt that I never thought about. I, I get along with everyone. Um, but there was a nickname. I was BWTP. Who's the bitch with the pearls? <laughs> I, I you know that you're wearing and, some right now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I took it with a grain of salt at that time. I think now we're in a far more sensitive time where, you know, that might be considered much more uh, offensive, but I just, I took it with a grain of salt. Um, but I was always on teams, never more than 10% women. And so I don't know in hindsight if I've missed opportunities or I've been passed over because of unconscious bias or micro inequities, but I really can't live in the past. I just have to look forward and kind of leverage my leadership positions now to advocate for more equal consideration going forward. So I think how it affects me, maybe not in my past journey, it affects me feeling my responsibility as a woman leader to make sure that we have a focus on women and URM in tech going forward. Yeah, I agree that some of it is, you know, getting here, we we as women have had to develop a kind of a thick skin uh, or maybe already had one to begin with and that's how we survived. Uh, you know, get, getting, you know, I'm in my late 40s, I've been in tech since uh, the early 90s and it's it, it feels like a different time. It feels uh, like there's a lot more requests for accommodation and for consideration of people's uh, different situations and stuff that would never have been available to anyone when we were starting out, right? And I, uh, my knee-jerk reaction is like, just toughen up, princess, but it's not, it's not, that's not useful, <laughs> right? Right, and, and maybe I was lucky, you know, maybe I was lucky. I started yeah. at the same time as you, the early to mid-90s. It didn't occur to me that I was different, and I never felt openly ostracized. And I'm not saying with the Me Too movement that there aren't many women who were. Oh, totally. Was I just lucky? Yeah, you know? we're privileged. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. It didn't, didn't happen to me. So I'm, I'm very aware of it. But at the same time, I'm not sure I can look back on my career and say. Yeah, and, and what did the world miss out by excluding folks that could have come along with us, right? Who didn't have the same privileges that we did or that weren't as necessarily tough or possibly just clueless about what was going on as me. Um, so yeah, it's a it's an interesting question for those of us who have, have been there a while or still in it or are, you know, moderately to extremely successful. Could it, could it have been different if we had our, our compatriots around us, you know? But well, anyway. and do you feel like you have that now? Do you have people around you who are rooting for you, pushing for you, advocating for you um, differently than was possible 20 years ago? I definitely, I've seen some huge shifts um, and I, I won't use company names, but I was at one company where they put in quite a few processes to test their own unconscious bias, right? They would calculate the percent of tech women at a certain level against um, the promotion rate. And was that happening at an appropriate rate? Were the factors being considered unbiased? Were URMs be considered at the same rate that, you know, everyone else? Oh, um, so I've seen huge changes. 
um, in that. And, and I think, but on the whole, I think we're probably in tech still at the lip service phase. Everybody wants to do the right thing, but I think very few companies have probably focused on or had the opportunity to put it in practice. Yeah, it's um, difficult to disentangle that from, you know, what the shareholders are looking for, what the boards that are primarily men right. are, are, you know, expecting. They're like, well, this is a good thing to talk about, but the putting it into practice, we're putting our, you know, our money where our mouth is and they like money. I mean, I like money too, but, you know, you got to do the right thing. And I would say for me, the one thing I've changed probably only in the last five years is to overtly advocate for myself. Um, it would never occur to me to do that in the past. And uh, studies show that that is a gender style thing that's quite common. And mm -hmm. so I fell into that stereotype of waiting to be noticed for doing yeah. a good job. And I realized, you know, not everybody does that. And so as uncomfortable it is, is I will overtly advocate for myself now as so the, yeah <laughs> as the one male in this call uh, I, I can confirm that uh we generally do that that men in general will, will advocate Speaking on behalf of all men ever yeah i mean like waiting to uh you know and i'm sure there are men that that don't feel that way but um yeah, waiting for people to acknowledge the the good work that I, I've done. If it literally didn't come the moment I expected the acknowledgement, I'll be like, but hey, wait a second. I did a did thing. What? I did a yes. good job. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that's also, uh, you know, is affected by whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Um, and can you talk about that and how that uh, affects your work? Um, Which are you? I'm an, I'm an, intro, I'm an extrovert at work. Um, and an introvert in my personal life. Hmm. Um, so being an extrovert at work has been great. I'm comfortable around people, building relationships with the team. I love getting to know each person individually, even to the point that it makes them uncomfortable, especially if they are <laughs> introvert. I, I, I engineering can be. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Who is this lady and why is she asking me all these questions? Why does she care about what I did on the weekend? Um, and I've always been comfortable speaking up in meetings. Like I'll get a little antsy. Like if I'll, I'll wait and see if anybody's going to ask my question, but if they don't, I've got to get it out there. So that's always been really good. Um, the counterbalance for this is I'm an introvert in my personal life in a social setting where I don't know anybody, please don't make me go to the party. I will look for any excuse to not go. Um, and so that makes, that makes networking a real challenge for me. I have to really force myself to go to events until I have a subset of people I know there. And so I've been probably a little slower to network outside of my core work area than I probably should have. Why do you, why do you think there's a dichotomy? Uh, what is it about work that brings out your inner extrovert? Um, because I think it creates that safe space, right? I've been voted in to the tribe by mm -hmm. being hired. Yeah. Um, and so now I, okay. yeah, by definition, it gives me a confidence that I'm part of that tribe. And in a social setting, I don't feel part of the tribe. And so I tend to be pretty shy until I, which people who know me through work settings are generally surprised, but. Very interesting. I've not, I've not known, like thought about it that way where like you were asked to join this company. So therefore they want, they want whatever it is you've got, whatever, you know, that's uh that's a great way that's, of thinking about it. Well, it makes me wonder if like, if you put a Super Bowl ring on a uh, on a you know small introverted man, would he feel like okay now? I, <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I don't know, I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, is there? I mean, is some of that 
and and I, I guess I'm I'm uh, projecting some of this on there, but how how much of your comfort at work is related to also you being in a senior management role? Like if, if you came in as an IC, do you feel accepted in the same way or have you historically? Cause I'm sure you've done that. Like, uh, you still, yeah, as I, yeah as I look back on my career, I was always extroverted at work. Really? Um, and it, you know, if we play the Myers Briggs thing, I land right on the line between oh, e and yeah. I. Um, sure. and so I seem to express it definitely cause you know, I get voted into the tribe and then I feel good about what I'm doing at work. If I feel confident in what I'm doing, I'm very comfortable. Um, but yeah, take me outside of work and just put me in a room full of people and ask me to make small talk. Oh, that's like yeah. sheer punishment. At work, you're you're focused on it on the thing you're delivering, and I find that super helpful as well. Like there's there's not it's not a matter of trying to work your way around whatever niceties are happening and 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 the small talk, as you say. There's actually a goal, and there's reasons to talk to people to 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 go forward towards that goal, and I find that to be super useful as well. I also file. Historically, I've fallen right in the middle uh, in, in Myers-Briggs and so forth as well. I'm heading towards more introverted as I get older. Uh, but yeah, having that having that purpose makes such a difference. It's not that I don't like people. It's that I don't like talking about nothing. Right. <laughs> totally. Um, There's so that people, uh, go ahead, Kendall. <laughs> There's some t-shirt that says like, uh, this is... This oh, it's it's a it's a comic. Somebody has a thing where a, a guy's wearing a T-shirt that says, "This is the second best way to start a conversation," and then people come up and say, "Well, what's the first? What's and the first. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> hey but, I uh, need that shirt. Yeah. I think that's I know, what it is. Right? Is at work, you always you have some shared topic you can start with, and then you can lead yeah. into something social or something that's mutually interesting. And I see that person across the room. Um, and my personal most dreaded question, and I get it every single month as humans, we have nothing better than to ask every other adult we meet. Do you have children? Oh yeah. I don't have children. And then I say, no, I don't. And then 90% of the time people have zero follow-up and right, they, go to, they, they go to their drink and I'm like, really as adults, we can't do any, you don't have any other question. You can go to. Like what book did you most recently read what? or, uh, you know, find, what's find your favorite the color? The person's <laughs> face that you think they're most insecure about and ask them that. <laughs> and that will, that always leads to a great conversation. Are you happy um, with your beard, Kendall? <laughs> So I noticed your right eye seems to be slightly higher than your left eye. How has that made you feel throughout your life? Does that affect uh, the way you wear glasses? <laughs> Have you made many friends that way, Kendall? Yeah, that's right. No, surprisingly, the uh, the eye problem has helped. Uh, I've never felt uncomfortable in conversations. There's always something to talk about. No. Um, so, Jessica, the the podcast is called Authority Issues. We like to ask everybody, what's your relationship with authority? And how do you feel about having authority over others or uh, others having authority over you? Yeah, I never really had any authority issues. I was goody two shoes in school, um, probably overcorrecting for my brother's behavior because <laughs> I'm the younger one. Um, and it's been great for me in my career because I'm very comfortable learning what the tribal rules are for each organization. And then maximizing how I can work within those constraints. I don't spend a lot of effort saying these are these are wrong. These are this stupid. Is bullshit. Just, yeah. Right. It, it, I don't find any value in that personally. So I just look for how can I maximize my position within this tribal rule set. Um, and then as far as authority over others, you know, I, th I thought that it's a really interesting question because I really don't 
I really don't think of it that way. Um, I see my role, and it's going to sound a little cheesy. I, I do see my role as just one of many roles on my team. Yes, I have more responsibility to the organization for providing strategic direction, resources to get the work done, removing roadblocks, um, and the impact of me making a mistake may be more costly, but I firmly believe my role is no more or less important than anyone else's in the organization. It's a privilege that I get to be our leader, and I, I'm careful to not take advantage of that. And I, I personally abhor leaders that take pleasure in kind of this command and control style. But I mean, you do, you do have the power to, you know, to remove people from their jobs and that kind of stuff. So there, there is authority there. Um, you know, there's, there's multiple kinds of authority. There's the authority where you know more about something than someone else. Mm -hmm. uh, but there, there's this power differential where you really do have authority over those folks. Um, and your behavior in that role makes a big difference uh, to how they are able to work with you. Um, has that, is that a thing that you, I mean, it sounds like you don't tend to think about it that way, but what do you, what do you think about that statement? How do you feel about that? Like you have the power to hire yeah. and fire. It's a big deal, really right? Interesting. Yeah, it absolutely is, Rachel. And I, you know, I would never use the authority, the word authority. I would use the word responsibility. Mm -hmm. And my responsibility is to create the best team to work on. And part of that is selection and firing. Mm -hmm. And so if I do have to manage someone out, it's because I'm doing it in pursuit of making it the best team for everybody there. Yeah. So you have like, you, you know, sometimes have to deal with that situation where you've got like a brilliant asshole and they oh, are, yeah. they yeah. may bring a lot to the team in terms of what their productivity is, but then they can truly downgrade the rest of the team by being yep. impossible to be around. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that kind of thing is a difficult line to walk. Um, and seeing it as a, this is, I'm, I have a responsibility to the entire team versus to each individual on the team probably makes it a lot easier to address those or approach them like in a holistic, holistic fashion, right? Okay. Um, and so it sounds like you don't really have a different relationship with authority than you did when you were a kid. Um, you, you, you know, your parents told you what to do. You were the good kid. I was also the good kid. I was a Sunday school teacher. Oh, you're way better than I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I made up for it since. Don't worry. That's impressive. Uh, yeah, in high school, I t I ran the church nursery and I also taught uh taught Sunday school. Um, but uh, definitely, I have a different relationship with authority now than I did then. And I'm curious, uh, Jessica, whether you do in not maybe in that extreme sense, but uh, no, I think as I've matured, though, you you know, growing up in that sense, I didn't think for myself, right? I trusted authority and I followed the rules. It was easier to do. I got pats on the head. And, you know, it made it easy to go through life. And I would say, if anything, now um, I wouldn't go so far to say as I question authority, but it's my responsibility to think critically about what I'm being asked to do. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, I don't, I don't necessarily just, oh, well, the big boss on high said such and such. No, I'm going to think about it and say, does that make sense for my organization or for the company I work with? And I'll have, you know, an intelligent conversation, offering feedback and recommendations. Um, but yeah, it's not, I, I never get to the point where I'm just like, this is bullshit. I'm not doing, you know, I, 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 yeah, exactly. I hope I have the maturity to have it as an intelligent conversation and I have a responsibility to not just to be an order taker. Yeah. And I feel like uh, junior leadership is more afraid of that kind of situation where they have to ask questions or push back. Do, um, that to me would would separate a junior leader from a senior leader. Uh, what do you think separates junior from senior leadership in terms of skills and abilities and tendencies? 
Um, for me, it's more about uh, just it's it's the trajectory of learning. So in junior leaders, I notice they're like myopically focused on their team um, and they really struggle to lift their head up and see across the organization if there's a better solution for the whole organization. Um, so, for example, you've got a team, you guys are knocking it out of the park. We need some help on this other team. I need to borrow a resource. A junior manager is more likely to flip their lid being, oh, you can't take one of my people. And I'm like, okay, let's look across the organization. We have lots of goals to achieve. How do we best achieve? And, and junior leaders will often get pretty stubborn and, and kind of try to refuse to see that there's a you know, bigger picture in the works. Another um, way. Another yeah. way, right? Because it means they're losing. And I'm like, you're not losing. We're here for the whole organization. Um, you know, and so that's what I see. And the other one is just getting the experience of those first few cycles of doing hiring, firing, promotions. And they just need to build that history so it becomes second nature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so on that line, uh, I mean, I always tell people if they get if they get to second nature, particularly in firing, that they should quit. Um, like, like that if, if you ever get to the point where firing people's really easy and is not a complicated thing, like, you know, and, and there's a, there's, there's a right way to fire people. Like, don't, don't get me wrong, but like, I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm happy for you to push back on this uh, with me, but I'm, I'm curious what your thought is on that. Like, do you think people should get to a point where it's just super easy to fire people and they don't feel any conflict over it at all? Or yeah, easy is not the right word, but okay. you do get to, if you've been a manager long enough and you're being a good manager, you will have had to manage people out at some point. Sure. And so you should I should know the routines. I know the warning signs. I know when to give feedback soon and often. I know when to document. I know when to call HR. The first time someone does it, there's a lot of, well, you know, maybe it's fine. Let me let me talk to him about it for a few months. Okay, yeah. you need to be writing everything down. Well, you know, I just want to talk to him. Okay, three months later. Okay, now would you like to start writing everything down? And so something for me that might, if I see a major problem that would take three to four months, might take the new manager a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so it's more that, you know, and, and we all, we all, most of us have a bias to like people. Um, and so no, it, it should never be easy, but you know, the decision making conflicting, you know, having that that conversation about like, this isn't going well, let's uh, talk about this. Because you know what, it, it, there are some situations in which you know, having to, as you say, manage a person out or fire them or lay them off or whatever, is, you know, you were brought in to lead the group at the at the last minute, that kind of stuff where you didn't have a chance to work with that person through whatever issue they were having. But in situations that are not like that, I, I tend to feel personally that if I have to fire someone, it's my own failing. I have not I have not coached this person well enough to be successful. I mean, there are situations where the person is just like, eh, F you, I'm not doing the thing you're telling me to do. I have no interest in changing my approach to this job, whatever. Uh, those are very rare, I find. And it's it's a starting early and having those conversations often are, are, are key to giving that person every possible opportunity to fix whatever's going wrong. Um, and new managers tend to be very afraid of having those conversations. They're uncomfortable with that authority. They're, they're not confident in their own uh, role. And that's, I found, I don't think people get coached on that nearly enough. And I think there's, there's some pieces uh, along the lines of it being second nature. Like I, I get that. I mean, there's a lot of 
a lot of trial and error that I've had in hiring in particular, like firing. I've definitely made mistakes. Like, you know, I didn't say this word to the person and they thought I wasn't breaking up with them. They thought there's, you know, we're, we're, you know, those, those kinds of like, I've made embarrassing mistakes, but there's in hiring, there's a million things like, I, I overpromised or I promised something to someone. And then by the time they were actually hired, they weren't going to be on my team anymore. They're going to be on someone else's team. And the promise was moot or, you know, I mean, just the, the unbelievable number of, of mistakes that I've made that now are second nature to me. And when I watch, you know, somebody who's newer to hiring stumble through some of that, I, I, I yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, that was a very long, we agree with you, Jessica. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Uh, do you find that that uh, having become a leader and, and you've been a leader for some time, has that affected your personal life? And would you say it's positive or negative? You know, has it affected? I'm not sure it's actually affected my personal life. Um, I've always been career focused. Um, I've moved around the country for jobs. Um, and so for me, my partner needs to be accepting that that's kind of who I am as a person or it's not going to be a good fit. Um, so I do commit the majority of my time to my job. It's what makes me happy and fulfilled. Luckily, I have a spouse that supports this, so it hasn't been a problem. So if anything, uh, my husband's actually so supportive that I can always make the right choice for my job, whether it means extra hours or extensive travel without feeling guilty for my relationship at home. So that's, that's been very freeing. Um, and I probably couldn't have predicted that about my spouse until we were married, you know, till we were together for a number of years. Um, so I would say if anything, my, my partner affects my work life in a positive way. Okay. So it's not like, you know, you, you sit down and you want to discuss stuff going on in the household and you were like, here's my agenda and here's how we're going to talk about, you know, I'm putting this relationship on a pip. <laughs> yeah, on a pip. That's what I was going to ask. That would be really have a performance improvement plan for you, husband. Yeah, that's uh, right. We have a uh, weekly one-on-one on Sunday right. evening. <laughs> right, that's date night, right? The could, you, could you save that for the one-on-one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no. In ten years, where do you see yourself in this relationship? <laughs> totally. <laughs> so I, it sounds like you know you're you as you're saying you're very career focused. You're very uh, focused on your work. Do you have hobbies outside of work, and what are they? I do. I, um, for gosh. For probably about 20, 25 years, I was an avid runner. You know, oh, yeah. exercise just is just for me, I love it and it's the great de stressor. Um, starting, you know, I'm hitting that age, getting a little arthritis in the knees. So we're switching it up a bit with in terms of the sports, um, which has been a bit of a bummer. Um, and then a few years ago, I was um, I was trying to do less screen time. And so I took up knitting. I took up some modern quilting. So I really kind of enjoy that creative outlet space. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some stat, like they say, 20 minutes a day of creativity boosts brain power or something. So I try to consider it as virtuous on some level. Um, but <laughs> That's very but utilitarian of, of you. I know, isn't it? Yeah. I, always I, I, I admire that. Something. Yeah, I always have to be doing something. So I'm never just knitting. I'm knitting and listening to a podcast or knitting and traveling or, you know, so. You should figure out a way to knit and run and then patent the kit (laughs) and sell it to like-minded people who like to sit and create and also go as fast as they can. Okay. Because it's got, there's got to be a market for people out there somewhere. I mean. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of us OCD overachievers out there. Yeah. Uh, Those are really funny opposite 
hobbies to me. Uh, the like, yeah, I want. I, I do have a laptop versus go fast. <laughs> what? I do have a table for my treadmill at home, so I can uh, use my laptop on it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that works. It works. For, I can't really type very well when I'm on the treadmill, but I even if I'm walking, I'm too bouncy. I think I can't quite keep my hands in the right place on the keyboard. How do you manage that? I Typing is not not so much, but if you got really behind on email mm -hmm. or something, it's I can catch up on that. Or if there's like white papers I need to read, or yeah, yeah, yeah. it's more of a reading. It's true, this is like true confessions now. I don't know. Yeah, I've shared a little yeah. bit at this point. <laughs> well, I was like, hoping for some from some from some tips about how to type while you're on the treadmill, but no. I'm, I'm, Dictation I'm, software. Yeah, that, well, I, I imagine that makes a big difference. Yeah. I want to picture, I'm picturing a rowing machine where you type as you're sliding forward and then you just grip the keyboard and yank it back, you know, and then kind of... Getting your aggro out, Kendall? Yeah, I feel like <laughs> it would be I very... wearing a Viking helmet while you're doing this. For some reason, I'm picturing That's just that. because I always wear a Viking helmet. Yeah. You just assume... Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Jessica, if, so you're very work focused, you enjoy and are fulfilled by your work, but if, if money were no object, uh, what would you do with your life? Would you still uh, have the kind of role that you have now or would things be dramatically different? I love, I do love what I do. Would I still do exactly what I do? Probably not. Um, I, I've been fortunate that I, I just really enjoy what I do. If funding were also no issue, I would love to design and work with STEM programs in urban areas. I would just love to see an out, a really focused and dedicated outlet for, you know, urban programs. I think our public schools are kind of in a sad state and even worse in urban areas. Um, the decks are stacked against those kids for so many reasons. Um, and I'd love them to be inspired by STEM disciplines beyond the books and seeing an application of it in their life and maybe provide some sort of background and desire to continue education after high school. Wow, that would be wow. awesome. Yeah, yeah. That should be like, your next startup idea is, I think, where that should I go. I want like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation money for it, though. Like, Sure. You know, you could so just I pay to all of the teachers it. a lot more. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you couldn't that be, be awesome. correct, Rachel. Well, so what's what's the thing we're not asking, Jessica? What's what's a story, something going on in life right now that we don't know to dig into? What's uh, you don't Tell like us that about part. the pearls? That's what I want to know about. Oh well, yeah. There we go. <laughs> the pearls. <laughs> the bitch with the pearls or just the pearl <laughs> like did you so you you start out wearing pearls which is how you know partly how that nickname came about i assume but did you continue wearing them as a badge of honor or was that is there some other thing going on there no i no i didn't necessarily but the name stuck and it never bothered me because it said watch out don't get in her way she's totally. here to get something done i know? love it so it you know it never bothered me and it the person who told me, they waited a couple months to tell me, and they said, do you know, when I first met you, I asked somebody, who's the bitch with the pearls? And I laughed so hard that, you know, it made it okay for it to be my nickname. So, yeah, for until I left that job. All right, but I already jumped all over Kendall's question, like, what are we not asking you? What should we, what should we dig into with you? I know that's a, just an overwhelming question. <laughs> well, I thought there might be like an obvious, I don't know, where, 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 where do you see yourself in 10, 15 years? Do you think you'll, you'll keep uh, moving up? On a up beach and, in Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Not a bad answer. 
<laughs> All right. So yes, if money were no objects, <laughs> you would be on a beach in Costa Rica. I would be. Um, Career-wise, I mean, I love leading software development teams. I feel comfortable leading small teams, large teams. I would like to increase my influence in more and more strategic roles. Um, you know, so yeah, so that would probably be my 10 to 15 year goal besides being on the beach part-time in Costa Rica. Part-time. Oh, no, see, we, we're dialing it no, back no, to part-time yes. now. Oh. Well, you brought up another career interest somewhere. Yeah, I'm not gonna. <laughs> well, so gone, most people we thing. ask that to are like, yeah, I, I, I would do X or Y. They, they, they ramp one hobby up huge. And your answer was you would go help all the children in urban areas, which like, you know, is a little bit different than our normal response. And then you immediately switched it to, but in 15 years, I'd like to be done with that and sitting on a beach. Well, she's uh, very task Yeah, but in 15 years, I'm in my 60s. It's high. <laughs> yeah. In 15 uh, years, school had better be solved. It had better be a solved issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't yeah. know where to start there. Yeah, that one makes me sad. I feel, I feel fortunate. I grew up in very, you know, middle class lower middle class, but I was lucky enough that my parents taught me education was important. I lived in a safe enough neighborhood that I could get a decent high school education and go to college. And it's really sad to me that that's not afforded to a lot of young people these days. Yeah. Yeah. Even folks who are living in your situation don't get the kind of quality that you and I got when we were that age. It's true. It's super sad. And on that bummer of a note, sorry. I know. Um, I think we have to wrap it up. We've been we were going on for a while here. Sorry about that. Uh, we would like to ask you so that our, our listeners can also uh, find you on the internet. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can't. Ah. <laughs> Good answer. Wah, wah. Yeah, I don't have a strong social media presence. I mean, you can absolutely find me on LinkedIn. Um, professionally, I engage there. But things like Twitter, I've always found, I've tried them, but I found a distraction without commensurate payback for me. It's probably a shortcoming. For me, as social media is a form of networking, but I, I just don't, I don't spend any time there. Doesn't seem to have impacted your career, so good for that. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank, thanks for being with us. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to find you, I guess talk to me or Rachel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, we can hook you up, y'all. <laughs> thank you very much. It was great chatting with you. Thank you, Kendall. Thank you, Rachel. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>